0: Thank you for tuning in to This Week Explained, the intelligence-based geopolitical podcast that keeps you informed about the world around you. We are grateful for your support and appreciate you being a part of our community of informed listeners. We would love for you to share This Week Explained with your friends, family, and colleagues. Together, we can make a difference by sharing knowledge and fostering meaningful conversations. So, what are you waiting for? Help us grow our community by sharing This Week Explained with your loved ones.
1: You are now listening to This Week Explained.
0: And welcome to this week explained, the independent geopolitical podcast that tackles all the major global events. We're glad that you're here as we bring you all the insights and analysis on what's happening around the world. As always, I'm Tiana, and I'm here with my co-host Kirvin. Together, we'll help you understand the complexities of our dynamic, ever-changing world. Let's get to what's on the agenda this week, Kirvin.
1: All right, welcome back. I don't know what that was about.
0: Jeez, you said
1: so- <laughs> I'm excited.
0: You sound like one of your football teams won.
1: Oh, they they didn't. So Yes. <laughs> they they lost. Uh, so let's get into it. We're gonna talk Russia, Ukraine, obviously. Uh, but then, should we start worrying about Germany as an ally? We'll, we'll talk about that because there are some troublesome things coming Not out of my Germany. My uncle. No, we want to get him out of Germany here to the U.S.
0: He told me that he put an offer in. On a house in Algiers Point.
1: Oh, cool. We but, almost live there.
0: I know. That's what I told him. Anyways.
1: Okay. Anyways,
0: so, it'll happen, <laughs> but he he was just putzing around.
1: <laughs> well, after the Germany talk, and Dave, I know you're listening, so I hope everything's going okay. And we'll talk about after we get to the Germany talk, we'll, we'll stay in Europe because we want to talk about Sweden. Sweden's still trying to get that NATO bid. Um, and we're going to talk about it. is it getting any closer? it's some new news this week. Then <laughs> we'll leap over the Atlantic Ocean, depending, I guess, depending on which way you fly into it. But we're going to go to Canada and talk about Canada's very bad week. They certainly <laughs> did have one.
0: It was a mess this week. <laughs> and oh, and
1: speaking of, you know, countries that that speak French, some areas in Canada speak French, mm-hmm. France is leaving Niger completely. And the U.S. Is, has said that they're going to play the wait and see game about what they're going to do in Niger. Once we're done with that, we'll talk, uh, we'll head right over to Asia and start talking uh, North Korea, who has accused the West, as always, of aggression, not themselves.
0: Of course not.
1: And then we'll finish off with China, who's becoming, speaking of aggression, China's becoming way more aggressive this year. Uh, And at the same time, the U.S. surprised the Chinese Communist Party with some military exercises near some of their military assets.
0: My bulky blender was such a pain to use, I ended up hardly ever using it at all. But the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender makes blending so easy and convenient, I use it just about every day. BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper-quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C cord. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. With over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a BlendJet 2 to complement just about any style. I absolutely love the Lisa Frank edition. What are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code ANALYTICS12 to get 12% off your order and free 2-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use the code ANALYTICS12 to get 12% off your order and free 2-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Well, let's get started. What is the latest in Ukraine?
1: Well, uh, let's talk about this. The first American-made Abrams tanks have been delivered to Ukraine. They arrived earlier than even you and I expected, thought maybe December timeframe, but no, they're there. Uh, More of the M1 Abrams tanks from the U.S. are going to follow. And there is a promise from the Biden administration of 31 tanks in total. President Zelensky was outspokenly grateful for these reinforcements And it consists of approximately two platoons totaling eight to 10 tanks sent to Ukraine.
0: Well, that's some great news for Ukraine. How will these tanks be used in their efforts to reclaim Russian held territory? I know they're having a pretty good day or pretty good week themselves. Yeah, we're just regaining some territory.
1: We talked for a sec. We'll talk later about this. But Canada had a really bad week. Yeah. Uh, Ukraine had actually a really good week on the war front. Now those those tanks are going to be part of Ukraine's arsenal, and it's most likely going to be used in its counteroffensive to reclaim that Russian-held territory in uh, in the eastern and southern regions. But uh, Ukrainian military intelligence has warned they must be deployed carefully and strategically to avoid being destroyed on the battlefield.
0: So when can we expect these tanks to be deployed?
1: It may take some time before the tanks are actively used uh, as the Ukrainian forces prepare and plan the deployment of those tanks. Uh, The precise locations of the tanks will certainly be kept secret to prevent Russian strikes. Um, Now, President Biden and U.S. President Biden and U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd J. Austin III had previously announced the imminent shipment of the tanks, and their early arrival now reflects a concerted effort by Ukraine's Western allies to continue the support of Ukraine in its fight against Russian forces.
0: Now, this is a huge moment because there was some reluctance among allies to send Western main tanks to Ukraine, correct?
1: Yeah. So we talked about this a few months back. Initially, there was an aversion among allies to send Western main tanks to Ukraine, fearing it would escalate tensions with Russia, with the main worry being that Russia would use nuclear weapons. However, by January of this year, Western nations committed to supplying those modern tanks, including the Abrams, to Ukraine. Now, training Ukrainian forces to operate these tanks actually began in this spring, so the spring of 2023.
0: Well, that's good to know. What other tanks have been donated or transferred to you?
1: So we've also seen the transfer of the German-made Leopard tanks, and then Britain's Challenger two tanks, and and all three of those tanks have different pros and cons. So it, it is good to get a different grouping of them to use now. Ukraine wanted at least 300 Western tanks for its counteroffensive, and they've only received half of that number. And while they've received half of that number, despite all of the, the sanctions, Russia continues to produce its own tanks at a significant rate. So we're seeing the sanctions are not working against Russia.
0: Well, has Russia said anything about the Abrams tanks finally making their way to the front lines in its war in Ukraine?
1: Yeah, the, the Kremlin dismissed the significance of these US M one Abrams. Uh so the spokesperson Dmitry Peskov, he is a Kremlin spokesperson, he stated that these tanks will not change the balance of power on the battlefield. And he also predicted that much like a lot of other equipment that's going out to Ukraine, those too will be destroyed by Russia's military.
0: Are we anywhere close to bilateral peace negotiations? It doesn't sound like it.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're it does. Yeah. And and it's not... Um, I don't think we are close as... Because neither side's really advancing much in the war. Right. Uh, but there's but
0: just as all get out.
1: Yeah. And and someone had... Like we've talked about, someone has to be winning so much in this war that the other group comes to the table and, and asks for... And they'll have to, you know, a lot of the talks about land and and things like that. That's where we'll have the conversation. So we're not there yet. But an interesting story this week, because uh, Sergei Lavrov mentioned that Moscow recognized Ukraine's sovereignty in 1991 with the condition that Ukraine remained a non-allied, non-aligned country and did not join military alliances like NATO. So this implies that Russia could actually recognize Ukraine's pre-invasion borders if it formally and publicly forgoes NATO membership,
0: yeah, right. I really doubt that. I mean, it's, an interesting, <laughs> Just, it's an interesting proposition, but what? I mean, what is the potential implications of that statement? I mean, I don't believe it for a second. But well, it's and, so
1: nice. <laughs> yeah, it does. But the the main issue for Ukraine right now is Crimea, which remains a, an obstacle for Russia. So if they even go back to the the pre-invasion borders, Ukraine is still saying we want Crimea back. Crimea was annexed by Russia in 2014. And what we have seen with the counteroffensive is that President Zelensky wants to reclaim that land. So Lavrov's statement leaves some ambiguity regarding Crimea. What analysts believe he's talking about is that pre-invasion land could go back. But it is possible That Russia might be willing to surrender its claims to Donetsk, Kherson, Luhansk, Zaporizhia, those those regions that were annexed uh, by Russia, but are considered illegitimate by the international community.
0: So is there some wiggle room in the negotiation regarding Ukraine's territorial integrity?
1: Right now, as it stands, uh, it does seem that there may be Uh, Russia's willingness to recognize Ukraine's pre-invasion borders could be seen as a positive step towards resolving the conflict but the issue of Crimea remains a sensitive topic and we're going to keep talking about it it requires further discussion between all the nations
0: well then let's just stay in Europe and talk about Germany which is a country that we both love yeah in the rundown you teased out the question should we be worried about Germany as an ally so let me ask you that question should Ukraine and its allies be worried about Germany
1: Well, some analysts see Germany's role in the war in Ukraine as increasingly significant on the global stage. And there's definitely been some criticism of Germany for its slow support for Ukraine. But the country has now emerged as a key supplier of military and humanitarian aid. This includes strong rhetoric against Russia and continued support for Ukraine, despite the Nord Stream pipeline sabotage, uh, which there's a new intelligence report out that's, it's out of Norway that says that the Nord Stream pip- pipeline sabotage could have originated out of Ukraine.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. Yep. Now, we all know money talks, especially in, geo- in the geopolitics game. I mean, it talks everywhere. It's very loud. It talks louder than anything else. Yes. So, how is Germany's commitment to Western policy on Russia and China affecting its economy?
1: And this is why we talk about, uh, should we be worried about Germany as an ally? Um, Well, this, so the the Western policy towards Russia and China is having dire economic consequences towards Germany and many other countries. So the, the country's recent energy transition, which was abrupt and costly, is raising costs for both the economy. As, as a whole, as a country, but also pers- private households. So each personal household is, is feeling the effects of this. Uh, it's particularly challenging for Germany's industrial model, which relies on competitively priced energy imports. Uh, what's interesting is that some suggest that Germany, not Russia, could be the first country to stumble economically under the strain of the war in Ukraine. And that's given the economic, political, and social changes it is currently facing.
0: Okay, I see. So economically, it's bad. But what are the political implications of these developments?
1: Yeah. And so you've got economy. Uh, That's why we should be worried about Germany as an ally. And what that leads to is different political aspirations and a different political landscape. And the, the political landscape in Germany is shifting. So traditional parties are declining and populist forces like the alternative for Germany or the AFD is gaining ground. Uh, the AFD is now polling second nationally, posing a challenge to established parties. The uh, the firewall or the blockade against coalitions with the AFD is weakening. And history suggests that outsider parties can eventually become mainstream participants. If we look back, the so before World War II, before we had World War II, the reason Hitler came to power was because Germany was suffering economically and it changed the political landscape. That's something we want to have to, We want to avoid right now. Um, there, there's also a challenge emerging from the left, the possibility of this charismatic figure, uh, Sarah Wagenknecht, and she's forming a new party. This political turmoil is certainly connected to the war in Ukraine. A lot of outspoken parties against continuing to uh, to fund the war in Ukraine in Germany. And they have concerns about Germany sacrificing its interests, sacrificing its sovereignty, the economic decline and the fear of NATO-Russia escalation contributing to instability in the country.
0: Well, with Germany, excuse me, dealing with economic troubles and possibly turning into a reluctant ally, let's talk about a once neutral country that could be getting closer to being a NATO country. Sweden is still waiting for Turkey and Hungary to agree to allow them into NATO. What is the current status of the discussions regarding Sweden's potential NATO membership, particularly in relation to Turkey and Hungary's agreement?
1: Well, Turkish President Erdogan has stated that its parliament will approve Sweden's ascension to NATO if the United States will fulfill its commitment to deliver F-16 fighter jets to Turkey. Now, the U.S. has made Sweden's NATO membership a condition- for selling these fighter jets to Turkey. And Erdogan is now emphasizing the importance of both parties keeping their promises.
0: It's an interesting proposition. What are the implications of that statement?
1: Well, the, the statement reflects Turkey's changing approach to pressure from the U.S. administration to expedite Sweden's NATO entry. Uh, and this they want to do this when Turkish lawmakers reconvene next month. So, so what I'm saying here is, before this, Turkey kept putting the onus on Sweden to change their laws to to stop burning the Quran, to stop you know protesting religious uh, relics and things like that. And now they're shifting it to, because Sweden has, you know, kowtell to some of the demands from Turkey or capitulated to some of those. And now Turkey's going, hey, well, now it's the U.S. that needs to step up and they need right. to give us the F-16s. So they, they want a swift resolution. To his F sixteen request, and and they believe the recent corruption charges against uh, you saw those uh, against Senator Bob Menendez. He was the one that was kind of blocking the progress in negotiations for these F sixteens. So they think that these corruption charges have created the perfect opportunity and that, and so Turkey is trying to capitalize on that.
0: So there are multiple factors at play. How likely is it that Sweden will gain NATO membership?
1: Well, there there is hope. That once the Turkish parliament reconvenes, they will vote to approve Sweden into NATO. But that's only going to happen if the U.S. decides to move forward with the sale of the F-16s or if Senator Menendez is forced to resign and then the one major roadblock to that sale would be gone.
0: Yeah, Senator Menendez is having a bad week, like a lot of people, it seems like, but (laughs) so is a major geopolitical power in you know, with the name of Canada. Yep. I said in the norm.
1: In the norm. Said, in the norm <laughs>
0: Canada. <laughs> with the name of Canada. So what is happening with our neighbors to the north? Our old buddies.
1: Yeah. So, uh, they're just having, they are having a very, very terrible week. Uh, you know, it, it started with their accusations towards India, but it got really bad when they gave a standing ovation to a former Nazi, uh, officer because of his, his uh, pushback towards Russia. Well, that was not very good. But this week also concluded a months-long investigation into the death of Harddeep Singh Nijar, who was shot dead in, uh, in Canada in June, in British Columbia. Uh, so this investigation actually took into account human and signals intelligence, including communications involving Indian officials and diplomats present in Canada. Some of the intelligence actually came from an unnamed ally in what we in the intelligence community call the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance. Um, Canada said that through their investigation, and Canada's part of this uh, Five Eyes Alliance, the Indian government... So, so Canada said, our investigation shows that the Indian government is responsible for the death of Singh Najar
0: For the death of a man in Canada?
1: Yes, yeah, so Singh Najar is part of... Um, the the Sikh, the Sikh religion community. no no but, yeah.
0: no, I get that what I'm saying is how are they how are they taking the blame off themselves and placing it on the Indian government if he was in Canada
1: so that what they are saying is and I, I as a intelligence still classified and it is intelligence I have not seen yet but okay. the implica- the implications are the Indian government through communications with its diplomats in Canada sort of put out a um, hit on him put a hit out on this Sikh leader and killed him
0: so they're taking some they're they're taking some um ideas from China planting
1: yeah and and it's interesting because when we talk China or we talk India we talk about the other country so if we're talking India a lot of times we talk about China and their relations with China when we talk China we we tend to go uh well what does that mean for India like like just right. to today China said India never put a craft on the moon, on the south pole of the moon, said so that's a lie. That's part of uh, Chinese propaganda. So, yeah, when it's funny that we talk about these countries in tandem, and a lot of times they do the same thing.
0: Well, I mean, that's quite um, an extensive investigation and quite the allegation, you know, implying that the Indian government basically put out a hit on this sick leader.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: how has it affected relations between Canada and India?
1: Obviously, the relations are strained between those two countries. This dispute has led to the expulsion of diplomats from both countries. And India actually stopped processing visitor visas for Canadians.
0: Sorry, Canada.
1: Yeah, uh, not being able to go to India. There's billions of people in, in India for Canadian businesses to reach, so this is a huge problem for Canadian businesses.
0: Canada part of the Commonwealth,
1: yeah, and and so it all fits in together. The part of, yeah, it, of all,
0: it all makes sense.
1: Colonialization. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Let's go down that route at all,
1: right? Um, now Canada is considering retaliation, but as of right now, I haven't seen any decisions that have been made yet.
0: Well, to get they usually ap- apologetic. Canadians to retaliate means he <laughs> probably screwed up. <laughs> what, what is the stance of the United States on this matter?
1: And the U.S. has expressed deep concern, and they confirmed frequent contact with Canada on this issue, which leads me to believe the unnamed uh, Five Eyes ally is actually the United States. I don't, I don't know that for a fact. But if you read everything, it, it looks like that's who was giving the information to Canada. Now, the U.S. on their part have emphasized the importance of continuing the investigation and bringing the actual perpetrators to justice. Uh, U.S. has pledged to stand up for its principles, regardless of the country involved, and they reject efforts to drive a wedge between the U.S. and Canada on this matter.
0: Well, are there any expectations of legal repercussions for individuals higher up in the Indian government who may have, you know, put the word out?
1: Yeah, and the the Canadian government hasn't disclosed whether it expects legal repercussions for individuals Prob- higher up. Probably not. Let's Probably not. Um now, given the international attention this case has garnered, it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds. India's been on a hot streak of good geopolitical news. They're setting themselves up as a potential superpower in the near future. So this is, uh, we said it's a bad week for Canada. And this investigation is part of that um, because they were public about it. But just having these al- allegations poses a threat to India's future global power aspirations. So it's something that we're all going to follow. We're going to be following on this podcast, especially very closely.
0: It well, seems to be an understatement.
1: Yep. <laughs> I mean,
0: we'll be keeping track of this development. So let's move on to Africa, where France decided to remove all troops from Niger due to deteriorating relations between the two countries. What can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so we'll start from the beginning. Following the July coup in Niger, uh, President Macron has now decided to withdraw not only the 1,500 troops, but also the French ambassador to Niger. Uh, Also the, the National Council for the Safeguard of the Homeland, which that's the group that took power during the coup they initially so when they did the coup in july they initially demanded just the withdrawal of the french ambassador they were kind of saying we don't we want to keep the troops here the french troops here but get the ambassador out but france's refusal to recognize the coup leaders led to daily protests outside the french embassy and now because of that france's decided to remove all troops from the The country, and those are troops that are providing counterterrorism support for that region.
0: Well, that's quite a significant decision. How does this withdrawal fit into the broader context of French troop deployments in Africa?
1: So, the the withdrawal of French troops from Niger is part of a a trend of French troop withdrawals from African countries. Um, Now, this this exact move may impact the European role in the region and has raised questions about France's commitment to security partnerships in Africa.
0: Are there any immediate implications for other foreign forces stationed in Niger?
1: So uh, just going off of what U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and German Defense Minister Boris Pistorius have stated, uh, the French withdrawal does not immediately impact other foreign forces. What did I say?
0: Pistorius.
1: Oh, Pistorius. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, uh, Defense Minister Pistorius, who has they've they've said that it's not um, an immediate impact on their forces that are stationed in Niger. Uh, there is approximately 2,700 foreign troops in the capital of Niameh. Uh, we talked about this last week. The U.S. has moved those forces from Niamey to Agadez to support. Uh, they're not, they said they're not doing a, a, a joint counterterrorism mission anymore. It is just an ISR mission within that country.
0: So the African continent remains in flux, and only time will tell what direction those countries go in this geopolitical power struggle. Now it's time to move to the wild card that is North Korea. We had some very interesting breaking news this week when it was reported that North Korea expelled the U.S. soldier that crossed the demilitarized zone looking for asylum. Do you have any North Korean updates?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, that was... That's, a, that's interesting. It stopped me for, for a second because this is a guy that went across the border and then, you know, to seek asylum and North Korea wouldn't even accept him. So that's got to get your head going. Now, aside from that shocking news, the expulsion of Private King, North Korea has also accused the United States of making 2023 an extremely dangerous year. They've alleged that U.S. actions are provoking a nuclear war North Korea's UN ambassador criticized both the U.S. and South Korea for their what 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 the UN ambassador called hysterical remarks of confrontation. Intro. That's
0: the hysterical remark of confrontation, right? That's it. That's it. Saying that,
1: <laughs> yeah. And he also said that it's U.S. and South Korea that are escalating the tensions in the region.
0: Right. They're just they're just a baby.
1: <laughs> I don't have <laughs> any mean, money. That-
0: Yeah, that's um, a very serious but not surprising accusation. What else did the ambassador say?
1: They also claim that the United States is trying to create an Asian version of NATO in Northeast Asia. This is something that we've heard China say as well. Um, And they also said that this is effectively introducing a new Cold War structure to the region. He took particular issue with statements about the, quote, end of the regime that the U.S. has talked about and the, quote, unquote, the, quote, occupation of Pyongyang by Kim Jong-un, which the United States has said.
0: So what do they think the U.S. is doing in order to, quote, create an Asian version of NATO?
1: The alliances that they're making with South Korea, Japan... Uh, New Zealand Australia so that's what China and North Korea say is the new NATO putting a military base on the Philippines a U.S. military base on the Philippines
0: so they can come into Central America and do whatever they want
1: yes uh, with all of these geopolitical events it's (sighs) rules for thee and not for me uh, all across the board
0: much always yeah so how has South Korea responded to these claims?
1: Well, the deputy UN ambassador of South Korea dismissed North Korea's claims as absurd.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, just like Makes you did.
0: Sense. Makes sense.
1: <laughs> and then he questioned how many member states would seriously align with North Korea's assertions. Now, think about this. You know who one of those member states are in the UN? Russia, who has publicly aligned with North Korea over the last few weeks. Um, so I I do think, what right, But I think that was a direct uh, finger point at Russia, saying, "Who, you know, what solidly thinking geopolitical country would align with North Korea? Oh, one that doesn't uh, oh, think solidly." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and and then North Korea's appearances at the United Station at the United Nations are always closely watched because. It actually provides rare insight into the country's leadership's perspectives. Hear, they're
0: very isolated.
1: Very isolated. Yeah. So you, we talk about this all the time. How you can kind of read between what people are saying when they're putting it out publicly. You can kind of get some of the truth out of that public statement and really figure out what's going on. Uh, Kim Jong Un recently traveled to Russia, met with Vladimir Putin. We talked about that. A
0: stupid train.
1: With a stupid train. It's a slow train, let's see. Yeah,
0: so, okay, now it's stupid. You're right. It's all bulletproof and everything. And it's green, which is my favorite color. So
1: Well, see, you'd probably love being on that train. It goes so well, slow. It's very cautious. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know what? I think you're right. I think I need that train. <laughs>
1: yeah. That meeting, and you could see it in, in South Korea, indirectly pointing their finger at Russia, it's leading to concerns about potential cooperation between those two nations. So I think we already have the answer to that. You know, it's it's kind of a veiled dig at Russia, but that's how we can see that who's going to align with North Korea, we, we know. We see it.
0: Well, this is definitely an important development to keep our eyes on. What is the current situation on the Korean Peninsula?
1: Well, it, no, no surprise to anybody. It remains very divided. It's got that heavily fortified border that private king, it's not fortified enough to stop private king. Yeah, from going I wouldn't say over. it's
0: heavily fortified. If one lone private could just like skip his way
1: across, not not to mention the dozens coming from North Korea into South Korea seeking asylum. Right. Um, and you asked, I think about a month ago about, you know, what's going on with North Korea and South Korea, and they're technically still at war. We we said, you know, this is seventy years after the Korean War, because an armistice was signed, not a peace deal to end the war. Uh, Kim Jong-un's government continues to emphasize the need for defense capabilities to safeguard North Korea's sovereignty and security interests. That is seen as a problem to the West. Um, And then the US, Japan, and South Korea continue to increase their trilateral relations, what is seen as an Asian NATO. And that's just to deter those aggressions from the North.
0: Well, we would be remissed if we didn't then talk about the major power within the Indo-Pacific. Um, where does China stand in regards to its increasingly aggressive actions toward Taiwan and also other Western allies?
1: Yes, yeah, so China's been engaging in provocative actions that many analysts, myself included, believe could lead to more hostilities. And, and the problem here is that one mess up By someone in the PLA or the US military could start a conflict before Xi wants to. A particular concern is China's assertiveness in the South China Sea. It placed a barrier to block Filipino fishing boats from accessing disputed territory. That led to the Philippines sending divers to remove the barrier. All this caused an international uproar by allies on both sides. So, Western allies, allies of the Philippines, and Chinese allies. It just shows how much more aggressive Xi is becoming in his actions toward disputed areas.
0: Well, that's extremely concerning. What other actions have been taken in response to these challenges?
1: Well, the, the U- U.S. Air Force conducted a surprise exercise in Japan to test its readiness to mobilize aircraft. Uh, this happened in Kadena Air Base, which is in Japan, and it was to enhance readiness and counter potential threats given China's investment in long-range precision strike capabilities. I can say, from what I have seen, the U.S. military has been taking steps to reduce vulnerability and enhance the capacity of forward-based aircraft to improve their impact in a fight against China.
0: What about reports of Chinese espionage activities?
1: Yeah, these recent reports of increased Chinese espionage activities should prompt Western countries, particularly the United States, to bolster their counterintelligence efforts while they're also bolstering their military efforts several incidents have raised concerns about chinese espionage that's both in the west but globally especially in the indo-pacific we've discussed all of this so in august uh the department of justice arrested two navy sail us two u.s navy sailors for allegedly passing classified information to china regarding u.s naval activities uh, also ship designs and weaponry we've done t- China's audacity in running operations against Western targets remains very evident. Its extensive covert operations network involving United Front networks has has just been incredible. Um, they are, you know, business interests. They are taking business interests to farmlands in the U.S., buying up farmlands. Um, Their anti-Western public diplomacy has been a factor in deteriorating relations between China and the U.S. And also their influx of espionage within U.S. universities has has been a concern.
0: Okay, so what do you think these governments should be doing? But also, can you give insight into what listeners can do to protect themselves from attempts at espionage activities?
1: Well, I want to say that governments need to take a comprehensive approach to counter- Chinese espionage. Uh, globally, they need to work together to do that. This, this includes expanding foreign espionage laws, uh, keep a close eye on companies that might be acting as covers for espionage. That's the entire business network of the Chinese Communist Party. That needs to be looked into. It needs to require more reporting on interactions with Chinese nationals. It's not just up to the government. Countering Chinese espionage requires a whole-of-society approach. So, civilians can protect themselves by practicing vigilance regarding the motives, affiliations, and finances of Chinese nationals and Americans supporting Chinese interests. Is
0: telling everybody to be like weary of every Chinese person you meet?
1: No. I want to stress we're not talking about discriminating against those of Chinese nationality.
0: So, what what are you saying? Talking to. That's what it sounded like to me.
1: I'm talking. (laughs) Directly about businesses based in China, because of the way the CCP is set up, so Chinese businesses. So are how are
0: ch- Americans supposed to like keep an eye on Chinese biz- businesses in China?
1: So that would not be Chinese really businesses in China. I don't, I don't it don't is. It's Chinese businesses <laughs> like Miniso. Yeah, like Miniso. Uh, but it's the the Chinese businesses that. Uh, are not just working in China, but they have come into the U.S. Uh, We saw that with Hawaii. Um, So that was a telecommunications company that was kicked out of the U.S. and Canada and other Western nations. Uh, But there are still um, a heavy, heavy influx of Chinese businesses within foreign countries. And what a lot of them are doing
0: Thank you for clarifying because yeah. I could feel myself getting riled up. I was about to fight
1: you. <laughs> what we don't want to see is the same thing that happened uh, after the attacks on Pearl Harbor where the U.S. set up, you know, internment camps.
0: Japanese internment camps. Yeah. And
1: they weren't just putting Japanese citizens in there. It was anyone of Asian descent. That is wrong. That was yeah. U.S. history. That is terrible.
0: Well, you know, we have a lot of that.
1: We do. We could do. <laughs> We could do a whole year of episodes. Let's we'll
0: go on down it. that rabbit hole. Yeah, we'll just spend a year <laughs> talking crap.
1: But yeah, do we're not do not discriminate just because you see someone that that you may perceive to be Chinese. But when you're, I if you're, yeah, I
0: think your wording was just a little off. And but I get what now. I understand what you're saying, and I appreciate you clarifying things for me and our listeners because I don't want anyone getting the wrong idea
1: about you. Yeah, but you know, also when you're interacting with anyone, especially like somebody you've just met, if they're continuing to ask more and more personal questions about you, mm-hmm. don't give up personal information because that person, especially if they you've never met them before, they are looking for information on either you, the U.S. government, um, anything that they can do to uh, to improve their to to benefit them. So. Leave the personal stuff to friends and family.
0: And then I'd be discerning about your type all of yeah. that stuff too well.
1: That's very true. Especially <laughs> on the family front.
0: <laughs> all right. Go ahead. Finish what you had to say. I didn't mean to like cut you off. I just wanted you to clarify things before you continued.
1: Yeah, no, that's all I got.
0: Oh. That's all you got? That's okay. it. Well, thank you.
1: Unless you had something.
0: That's all you had for this week? Yeah. Well, we need to mention the two-year yes. sir.
1: And and I know you guys are getting those questions in. Email them. D- DM us. Um, Josh, Jacob, Luke, up, talking to you. I love those, those Super Bowl questions because it's been a while. Since we have a Saints yeah, Super Bowl. We,
0: we do need to say also, you can ask anything you want and we will try to answer. I mean, obviously, since all of my husband's friends are asking football questions, obviously, we're not sticking to the whole geopolitical sphere.
1: Yes. And after I told everyone not to give their personal stuff to strangers and I'm like, ask away.
0: Well, that's not going to be you're not going to go into great detail about personal trauma or heartbreak or anything
1: exactly <laughs> that, well, that's for a different podcast
0: mean, no it's for, for, no, <laughs> not for a podcast that's for your therapist <laughs>
1: oh that's I thought that's what a podcast was
0: <laughs> no but anyways we just wanted to float that out there again that we are we have our two year um anniversary episode coming up in October when in October is it?
1: it should be we are hoping to have it recorded and put out by the 8th of October Okay, that's a Sunday it'll be a bonus episode look yeah. at that bonus episodes yeah.
0: a bonus episode y'all can hear me squeak a whole lot it's <laughs> fun. it'll be fun for y'all anyways
1: you have anything else? anything else?
0: I don't think I have anything else I've got some hamburger buns that I gotta go bake
1: ooh dinner again.
0: I'm making hamburger buns, y'all. I've never tried to make hamburger buns before, but I did it today. (laughs) I did it. I made French bread last week for the first time, and that was awesome. It was awesome. It was easy. I'm learning how to make all these new breads.
1: It's like COVID again.
0: It's like COVID. It is like COVID, but not like COVID because I can go outside and go places. Anyways, so you're done? You don't have anything else? We don't have anything else coming this week? We don't have to travel? We don't have any sort of... no.
1: I hope it's not. Fun.
0: We don't have any meeting. Oh, this is wonderful. It's been a all year. <laughs> that we've had something going on. Anyways, thank you so much for listening to our humble little tiny geopolitical podcast. We hope that you found it both informative and engaging. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Open Analytics.
1: Tiana. Thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.